Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. Welcome to Celebrate Poe, Episode 32, The Better Angels of Our Nature. My name is George Bartley, and I'm honored that you're here taking time from your busy day to listen to this podcast. Today's episode is slightly off-topic, a special episode about the changes and challenges of a new president of the United States through the lens of history, especially as seen through four inaugurations. Now, a little bit of background first. I was recently listening to Chop Bard, a podcast that takes a rather deep dive into Shakespeare's plays, scene by scene and line by line. And you know how I like Shakespeare. I remembered uh, a great podcast episode that the podcaster Aaron Ziegler did to mark the inauguration of Barack Obama 12 years ago. So I went back and found it. At the time he took office, Obama was faced with a genuine economic catastrophe in the country. I was really struck by the respect and hope that Aaron spoke of regarding a leader's potential in helping to solve national problems, and that podcast has really stuck with me. By the way, I frequently like to go back to listen to Mr. Ziegler's earlier podcasts, especially if I'm interpreting a specific play for the deaf, and I like the system that uh, Mr. Ziegler has with his podcast host. I believe it's Libsyn. He has all the episodes of his podcast available. And I thought that would really be great with Celebrate Poe, to have the entire catalog available, especially if sometime in the future someone wanted to go back to learn more details about a specific part of Poe's life or a certain work. Well, it could happen. So anyway, I was thinking about using Libsyn because you could do a similar search to find a podcast episode uh, that uh, uh, you listened to, say, years ago. Then I found that Buzzsprout had the same feature and was a little bit cheaper, so I went with them. Anyway, I like Mr. Ziegler's approach towards the inauguration of a new president and wanted to do a similar podcast regarding the inauguration of President Biden. Now, with uh, President Obama, for example, Mr. Ziegler did a cool job of comparing the youthful Henry V with the youthful enthusiasm of an Obama Uh, There are really not too many similarities between any of the characters from Poe's works and President Biden. That would really be stretching it. But I strongly feel the inauguration of a new, truly compassionate president with all the hope that it offers is a moment worth noting. Now, I know to some of you, 12 years ago might seem like half a lifetime, but I guess age and time are all relative. Uh, For example, a few years ago in West Virginia, I was walking my dog Beowulf in Morgantown, and a young lady wearing a West Virginia University sweatshirt stopped me and said, That's such a cute dog. What's his name? Uh, Thanks. Uh, His his name is Beowulf. Her eyes lit up. Oh, you mean like that old, old movie. My mother took me to see that when I was a little girl. Now, to me, the words old movie is a movie like Citizen Kane or The Great Train Robbery. But I guess to her, the movie Beowulf is old. And besides, Beowulf came from an epic poem, not a movie. But anyway, the movie had been released when she was about nine years old. But I digress. We can learn a great deal by looking at how great leaders have dealt with similar conditions from the past. 
Of course, all ages are different, and each age has its own unique circumstances. But we can learn a great deal by examining times and leaders who have faced similar problems. In preparing for today's podcast, I looked through some of the inauguration speeches of past presidents and how they faced national challenges. I ended up choosing four presidents who in some way faced or are facing similar obstacles, Abraham Lincoln, Franklin Roosevelt, Barack Obama, and Joe Biden. This podcast is basically just my opinion, and at the risk of sounding pretentious, I hope you will learn something from this podcast and in some small way even become a better person. I know in the process, I'd like to think I have. A major concern behind the current inauguration was the threat of violence. This was also very much the case at Abraham Lincoln's first inauguration. The nation was in tatters. Jefferson Davis had just been inaugurated as the president of the Confederacy, and the problems caused by the succession of the southern states loomed over the country. Lincoln arrived in Washington by a secret route, and General Winfield Scott and his soldiers guarded the president-elect's movements. Lincoln was told not to ride with President Buchanan in an open carriage to the Capitol to receive the oath of office but Lincoln ignored the advice. He closed his first inaugural address with these words, I am loath to close. We are not enemies, but friends. We must not be enemies. Though passion may have strained, it must not break our bonds of affection. The mystic cords of memory stretching from every battlefield and patriot grave to every living heart and hearthstone all over this broad land will yet swell the chorus of the Union when again touched, as surely they will be, by the better angels of our nature. By the time Lincoln became president for a second term, more than 600,000 people had died in the worst war in American history. The Union Army was close to declaring victory, and many lawmakers felt the states who had succeeded should be punished severely. In other words, Lincoln was facing a nation that was still, in many ways, divided. Lincoln gave his second inaugural address, Saturday, March the 4th, 1865. Finally do we hope... Fervently do we pray that this mighty scourge of war may speedily pass away. Yet, if God wills that it continue until all the wealth piled by the bondsman's 250 years of unrequited toil shall be sunk, and until every drop of blood drawn with the lash shall be paid by another drawn with the sword, as was said 3,000 years ago, so still it must be said, The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Lincoln ended his speech with some of the most powerful words ever written. With malice toward none, with charity for all, with firmness in the right as God gives us to see the right, let us strive on to finish the work we are in, to bind up the nation's wounds, to care for him who shall have borne the battle and for his widow and his orphan to do all which may achieve and cherish a just and lasting peace among ourselves and with all nations. 
Franklin D. Roosevelt gave his first inaugural address during one of America's darkest periods. Like today, there was a national economic depression, and far too Americans believed that a revolution was needed. With his inaugural address, President Roosevelt assured Americans that life would improve. Now, be patient with the sound on the next two recordings. The words were recorded almost 90 years ago. The first is less than two minutes long. This is a day of national consecration. And I am certain that on this day, my fellow Americans expect that on my induction into the presidency, I will address them with a candor and a decision which the present situation of our people impels. This is preeminently the time to speak the truth, the whole truth, frankly and boldly. Nor need we shrink from honestly facing conditions in our country today. This great nation will endure as it has endured, will revive and will prosper. So first of all, let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself, nameless, unreasoning, unjustified terror which paralyzes needed efforts to convert retreat into advance. One inaugural address that really amazed me was President Roosevelt's fourth address, among the shortest inaugural addresses on record. It was given under severely scaled-down circumstances. The nation was at war, and somehow it just didn't seem appropriate to be in a celebratory mood. Much like today, the nation was in need of reassurance and encouragement. We shall strive for perfection. We shall not achieve it immediately. But we still shall strive. We may make mistakes, but they must never be mistakes which result from faintness of heart or abandonment of moral principle. I remember that my old schoolmaster, Dr. Peabody, said in days that seemed to us then to be secure and untroubled, he said things in life will not always run smoothly. Sometimes we will be rising toward the heights, then all will seem to reverse itself and start downward. The great fact to remember is that the trend of civilization itself is forever upward. That a line drawn through the middle of the peaks and the valleys of the centuries always has an upward trend. In 2009, Barack Obama was sworn in as the 44th President of the United States. He inherited what has been described as an economic mess. 
Of course, his administration was not only notable because he was the first African-American individual elected president, but due to its forward-thinking ideas. He ended his first inaugural address with, Our challenges may be new. The instruments with which we meet them may be new. But those values upon which our success depends, honesty and hard work, courage and fair play, tolerance and curiosity, loyalty and patriotism, these things are old. These things are true. They have been the quiet force of progress throughout our history. What is demanded then is a return to these truths. What is required of us now is a new era of responsibility, a recognition on the part of every American that we have duties to ourselves, our nation, and the world, duties that we do not grudgingly accept but rather seize gladly, firm in the knowledge that there is nothing so satisfying to the spirit, so defining of our character, than giving our all to a difficult task. This is the price and the promise of citizenship. This is the source of our confidence, the knowledge that God calls on us to shape an uncertain destiny. This is the meaning of our liberty and our creed, why men and women and children of every race and every faith can join in celebration across this magnificent mall, and why a man whose father less than 60 years ago might not have been served at a local restaurant can now stand before you to take a most sacred oath. So let us mark this day with remembrance of who we are and how far we have traveled. In the year of America's birth, in the coldest of months, a small band of patriots huddled by dying campfires on the shores of an icy river. The capital was abandoned. The enemy was advancing. The snow was stained with blood. At a moment when the outcome of our revolution was most in doubt, the father of our nation ordered these words be read to the people. Let it be told to the future world that in the depth of winter, when nothing but hope and virtue could survive, that the city and the country, alarmed at one common danger, came forth to meet it. America, in the face of our common dangers, in this winter of our hardship, let us remember these timeless words. With hope and virtue, let us brave once more the icy currents and endure what storms may come. Let it be said by our children's children that when we were tested, we refused to let this journey end, that we did not turn back nor did we falter. And with eyes fixed on the horizon and God's grace upon us, we carried forth that great gift of freedom and delivered it safely to future generations. Thank you. God bless you. And God bless the United States of America. On January the 20th, 2021, we saw another great man take the oath of office. 
President Biden seemed to stay away from the exalted and soaring rhetoric that many previous leaders have used. Instead, he spoke honestly to the world in short sentences that spoke volumes, short words and sentences that are articulate in their directness. For example, the president used a great deal of anaphora, or repetition of words, such as Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech, uh, I Have a Dream That, and so on and so on, or Sir Winston Churchill's We Shall Fight On, We Shall Fight on the Beach, you know, that kind of thing. Well, President Biden ended his speech with, I will always level with you, and then proceeded with five listings of I will, and later comparisons, unity, not division, light, not darkness, etc. Let's add, let's us add our own work and prayers to the unfolding story of our great nation. If we do this, then when our days are through, our children and our children's children will say of us, they gave their best, they did their duty, they healed a broken land. My fellow Americans, I closed the day where I began with the sacred oath, before God and all of you, I give you my word. I will always level with you. I will defend the Constitution. I'll defend our democracy. I'll defend America. And I'll give all, all of you, keep everything you, I do in your service thinking not of power, but of possibilities, not of personal interest, but the public good. And together, we shall write an American story of hope, not fear, of unity, not division, of light, not darkness, a story of decency and dignity, love and healing, greatness and goodness. May this be the story that guides us, the story that inspires us, and the story that tells ages yet to come that we answered the call of history. We met the moment. Democracy and hope, truth and justice did not die on our watch but thrive. That America secured liberty at home and stood once again as a beacon to the world. That is what we owe our forebears, one another and generation to follow. So, with purpose and resolve, we turn to those tasks of our time, sustained by faith, driven by conviction, and devoted to one another and the country we love with all our hearts. May God bless America, and may God protect our troops. Thank you, America. The last aspect of this inauguration that I would like to mention is one that really floored me emotionally in a good way, and that was Lady Gaga's rendition of the Star Spangled Banner. She had a voice which you knew made you feel you were in the presence of greatness. She sang the familiar words, and the rocket's red glare, the bombs bursting in air, gave proof through the night that our flag was still there. And on that, our flag was still there, she actually used the Capitol as a prop by looking up at the building and pointing it out, as if to say the invasion by thugs from January the 6th meant nothing. Democracy won out. Or maybe I've been spending too much time thinking about the War of 1812 in an earlier podcast when 19th century Americans were looking for the flag to see if, in this case, the British were going to prevail. 
But I know I will never look at the American flag exactly the same way again. I'll now look at it more of as, as a symbol of pride for all people. Now, I'd like to end this podcast with a portion of an article, uh, Lady Gaga, The Gayest Thing to Ever Happen at an Inauguration, written for the Daily Beast by an extremely talented and articulate writer, Kevin Fallon. I wrote Mr. Fallon this afternoon asking if I could use a portion of his article in this podcast episode, not really expecting an answer. But he graciously answered within a few hours, and I highly recommend that you check out the link in the show notes for a page of the Daily Beast of some of Mr. Fallon's past articles. He's an incredible writer. In the article about Lady Gaga, Mr. Fallon wrote, Gaga, of course, represents the unusual. There was more than one joke made that the capital was going to transform into a spaceship as she hit her last notes and transport her back to her home planet. But she also represents the mistreated, the misunderstood, and the marginalized. She is an idol and a beacon of light for the LGBTQ community, and her presence on the Capitol steps Wednesday morning spoke to that fact that finally that this is there our America, too. It is only in the last nine years that there has been a president in the United States in the White House who openly supported gay marriage and equal rights for the community. And just 18 months after the historic Supreme Court ruling legalizing same-sex marriage, Obama was out of office. The Trump administration rolled back protections for sexual orientation and gender identity up until the man's last day in office. To some, from uh, from her look to her earnest and dignified arrangement, Gaga's performance may have seemed traditional. To those of us it spoke to, it was positively renegade. She was singing for us. Now, the great historian John Meacham is especially masterful at taking the actions and struggles of previous presidents and turning them into lessons for us as a nation. And in his book, American Lion, an incredible biography of Andrew Jackson, he writes that it would be both glib and wrong to say that the age of Jackson is a mirror of our own time. The cultural, political, moral, and intellectual universe Jackson inhabited has to be viewed on its own terms. In other words, each age is different. At the same time, we can learn much from how such individuals as Presidents Lincoln, Roosevelt, and Obama face national challenges, and now President Biden, the most experienced individual ever to be chosen as leader of this country, They can unify us and allow us to exhibit the better angels of our nature. President Biden has the opportunity to follow their legacies. And check out the show notes for a transcript and links to articles by Mr. Fallon, as well as uh, a link to Lady Gaga in YouTube singing the National Anthem. Sources include American Lion by John Meacham, the 1861 and 1865 inaugural addresses by Abraham Lincoln, 1933 and 1945 inaugural addresses by Franklin Roosevelt, 2009 inaugural address by Barack Obama, 
2021 inaugural address by Joe Biden, and last but definitely not least, an article from the Daily Beast, Lady Gaga, the gayest thing to ever happen at an inauguration. Thank you for listening to Celebrate Poe, and be sure and join Mr. Poe and myself for our next episode as we examine what many feel is a fascinating and surprising topic, Mr. Poe's exposure to religion during his youth in Richmond. Thank you.